Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. My name is Hanoch T, and I'm a sexaholic. Um, I am, and I'm, I have to say this because um, I have to be, uh, I've learned from the old timers that the shame will kill me. And uh, in order for me to stay sober, I have to get out of the shame and accept I have a disease. And my MO is street walkers, street prostitutes. I've tried everything. I've tried X-ray movie. I've tried uh, phone sex. I've tried uh, massage parlors. Somehow I got hooked on the street walkers. And my MO was to cruise the street for hours. I've learned later that was my loss. I've learned after being sober for a while that the reason why I was hooked on street hookers because my addiction is primarily not to sex, but to lust. Meaning, the cruising around the street and measuring one hooker, comparing one to another, she's nice and she's better. She, she was older, she was younger. I would cruise around the street for a couple of hours and finally pick up a street walker. And, um, <laughs> and always picking her up, saying she's the best, but after finishing, saying, no, next time I'll find a better one. You know, I've learned, I went to other fellowships, and there's a fellowship in NA, they say, one is too many, a thousand is not enough. That's the way it was with me. I always, I was looking for that perfect, 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 perfect one for me, and cruising around the streets for hours, picking up the one that looks the exact one that I looks good for me, and then being disappointed and saying, next time I'm going to find a better one, the real one, the real good one. And, uh, and the answer is that no, the answer is that it's about running. It's not about arriving. To me, it's running from one to, to the next, to another, to another. There's no girl out there. I'm sorry to, uh, if I'm a woman in, I feel a little ashamed uh, to share this in front of other women. But uh, there's not a woman there that could ever satisfy me. Not a girl, prostitute that could satisfy me. Whatever there is, I want more. I want different, I want more. Because it's not about, it's about running for myself. I, 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 when I say this, I, I get very emotional because it took me a long, long time to realize that it's not about finding what I need. It's about finding God. Really, I had a hole, I had a hole inside in me that it could not be filled up. And I was looking to fill it up. It lost. And, uh, Thinking there's an illusion that I will find the one that will fill me up. It's an illusion. It's a bubble. It doesn't exist. Only God will fulfill me. And and, and thank God. I'm sober. I'm sober 28 years and four months. 
and it's like a dream. It's a dream. When I look back, I say, how did this happen? How did this happen that this sick guy, a very, very sick person, I was from age 12 to age 35, was running around, I started masturbation myself, then masturbation with, with the photography, then voyeurism, then walking the streets, and then finally picking up the street hookers and being hooked up there. And for 20, from age 12 to age 35, so this is 23 years of my life, I was running, 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 running to find the perfect, running to find that perfect one that will make me happy. And uh, once in a while, I would find the hooker that I would say, oh, she's the one that I like. I finally found what I want. And after three or four times, I said, no, I need something better. She's not the real one. I need something. I need. They're running around and running around the streets again, trying to find the perfect one. And I've learned, it's about, you know, I could, God forbid, if I start running again, I'm never going to find the one that will make me happy. Never, never. And if I find the one, it'll be for a very short time. Maybe two or three times, then I'll say, she's not what I'm really looking for. I'm looking for something better. And <clears throat> I was lucky. I would, I hope people, it's not a competition. Our, our founding fellowship, I'm going to pick it, is AA. It's, Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not a shame to say that whatever we have in our fellowship, whatever we, we have built on the foundation of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm so happy that Roy Kerry in the white book, the chief coordinator for the book Alcoholics Anonymous. I was very, very fortunate that through me, through my sexualism, I used to hang out in the streets with the street walkers, street hookers. And I was introduced to uh, using drugs by them, drinking alcohol, using drugs. And I became a full-blown alcoholic, drug addict, through my sexual addiction. And I was forced to go for help. I was gifted. Maybe if I've never been hooked on drugs and alcohol, I would still run around today with the, with the girls. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I would, I would have been dead. Who knows? But because I was addicted to alcohol and drugs, started using drugs on a very high scale, spent thousands of dollars every month, over and above my limit, my packet allowed me, using my credit card, I was forced to go for help. And I went to see a therapist who sent me to the fellowship called Alcoholics Anonymous. This is the book, this is the, the, the book. And I came to, uh, to AA. I was gifted that I, because where I live, where I live, I live in a rural area. I do not live in a big city. I live in Munch, New York. It's the upstate New York. It's not the city. And when I got sober, there was no SE meetings in my area. But there was a lot of AA meetings in my area. I started going to AA meetings. And I was hooked with the, a group of good people who, uh, who taught me that it's about having a spiritual awakening. That to get sober, we have to have a spiritual awakening. But I had a sponsor who kept dwelling 
kept telling me over and over and over, the foundation is the first tape. If I do not have a first tape, I have nothing. I can build an Empire State Building, state building or a building very tall on the floors. If it doesn't have a foundation, the building, the building will crumble down very, very fast. So I cannot build a spiritual building if I do not have a foundation. The foundation, my spiritual foundation is the first step, meaning coming to a conclusion that I'm really, really powerless. Now, looking back, I wonder myself, it took me months, months, to really accept that I'm powerless. Because my ego, I, I couldn't accept, it was too hard for me to accept. I really cannot do nothing about my addiction. And I don't beg, my, my behavior was really insane. I was running around in dangerous places, hanging out in very, very dangerous places where people kill each other about drugs, drug dealers, and people living in abandoned buildings. I was hanging out in abandoned buildings where those streetwalkers live, or they hang out and uh, very dangerous neighborhoods. Uh, it's a gift, it's a miracle that I was not killed. I was almost killed a few times. I was gone pointing, I was held up for my money, for my wallet. I was knives, uh, fist fights. And as, as many times as I promised myself, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going back there. Sometimes it would last three weeks. Sometimes, sometimes. Most of the times it lasted two or three days. But when I ran into something very dangerous, especially a fight, or I was robbed, I made a, I swore, I'm never going to do this again. And it lasted about two to three weeks. And then I went back. Somehow I went back saying that this time I'm going to figure out a way that it was not going to happen. I went to a different neighborhood, different place, different type of people. I protected myself in a way I'm more careful. And yet, when I came to AA, I had a sponsor who said to me, you were powerless, 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 you were the same. And it was very hard for me to accept. And what he explained to me, what my sponsor taught me is, and this is really the secret of addiction. I could be normal in a lot of aspects of life, in the one area, be crazy. That's really a revelation in psychology. That's what to me, I've come to learn what addiction is. Meaning, we know that people are normal, that people are really insane, fully insane. But an addict, I could be normal in a lot of aspects of life, in the one area, be out of, out of control. And I was out of control, it came to, for me, the, I came to AA, my life was out of control with drugs and alcohol, and I had a sponsor, and the therapist told me that we had to deal first things first. First, stay away from the prostitutes. And first, you got to clear up your head from the drugs and alcohol. You can't do it all at once together. And I'm talking from my own experience. And when people ask me, I say the same. That's what you should do. So my sponsor, the AI, said to me, you have to stay away from those street walkers. He said, I mean, get yourself a stash of magazines, 
I, I got some before the internet pornography existed. So was, then, then they had, when I got some in 1992, they had, we had, there was a pornography magazine. So my sponsor said to me, get yourself a test of magazines. Whenever you feel a little horny, get to go to the bedroom, release yourself, but you have to stay away from those street corners. And I tried it, I tried, but I said to him, you don't understand that masturbation doesn't do the trick for me. Every time I masturbate, I turn on the street and it's a big fight, a big fight. Every time I masturbate, I, I remember the pain. I remember the first year I was sober from drugs and alcohol. And I tried to follow the advice of my sponsor in AA. And I tried to take the drug. My sponsor in AA said to me, but here in AA, we are spiritual people. It's okay to masturbate. Spiritual people masturbate. But you can't work, you can't live a life on the 12 steps and hang out in those places and use drugs and alcohol. So I said to me, but get it so. So I tried, I really tried it for a year. For a year, I was able to stay away from the street corners, and I had a stash of magazines. Whenever I felt horny or sexy, I would go to the bathroom and masturbate. It pained me. It was so much pain involved because it doesn't satisfy me. It turns me on and only made me very, very hungry. I wanted more. And yet I said to myself, I have to learn to be normal. I have to learn to, learn to be normal and I have to force myself. And I wonder, for wonder, I was able for a year, <laughs> I don't know how, for a year I was able to stay away from the street corners and, uh, and able to stay with masturbation only. But after a year, it was really on, the, on that week on the week of my celebration. I was supposed to celebrate my AA anniversary. And I said, when I look back, I think I was not able, the excitement, I was able to stay away for a year. To be able to stay away from drugs and alcohol for a year was too overpowering. The, the, the emotional, it was so emotional. And I, I, I ran, I went, I went to a place, I had to be in New York City. And uh, the, the New York City, the one there, this is a big city. It had to be in a different in a downtown, and somehow my feet took me uptown. Without, as I was doing it, it's very, very important for me to, to repeat this to, to myself and to my fellow friends. As I was doing it, as I made a turn, it went, it started going to a different neighborhood. In my head, it was a big fight, big fight. It was the same part telling me, don't do it. What are you doing? Crazy. Go back. Go back. Go back. And yet I could not stop myself. I couldn't make the turn to turn around. And that, it was a long way. It was like three quarters. I had to ride a, a train, uh, like 40, 40 minutes, 45 minutes. All along the, the train ride, I was thinking to myself, where are you going? Where are you, what are you doing? Stop. Turn around. Go back. Go back. And I could not get turn around and go back. And I, came out of the train, and I came out of the street, and and again, I was walking around the street there for maybe two hours, and this whole time in my head, fighting it, saying to myself, go back, go back, go back, go back, and I yet I could not go back. 
My body took me to a place where I, it was the last time I acted out, but the beauty of it was that unlike all the years before, at that time, because of I had, I was a year in AA, that some awareness myself, because I had, I was beginning to have a spiritual awakening. I, I went to AA meetings, I've learned the concept of, of searching myself in the fourth step. I was, as I was doing it, I realized that I'm doing something against my will. I'm doing something that I really don't want to do, and yet I cannot stop myself from doing it. I picked up a prostitute. I went with her to hotel, and I was crying. I was crying. What am I doing? What am I doing? And I told her, I really don't want to do it, but I asked her anyway. Came down the stairs from that motel. I called, my, I called up my AA sponsor. I told him, he said to me, what are you doing? Are you crazy? And I said to myself, he doesn't understand me. Somehow I had, I had a feeling he does not understand me. And I, I came to see him the same day, and he said to me, what are you doing? You're crazy. And I felt that he doesn't understand me because he didn't, there's no identification. He was a member of AA, but he didn't identify what means being powerless over my sexual addiction. The very next day, I went to see my therapist, a psychotherapist, a woman, and I cried to her. I cried that the people in AA do not understand me. They don't know what means my, my situation. I'm different from them. And she said to me that she heard there's some kind of a fellowship the deal with addiction to sex. SA wasn't as known as today, but she heard about it. And she said, maybe we could find out, maybe we could find people like you. And we tried to call information. There's no internet. We called the telephone information, and we found a number of SA. We called, called up. Those days, not everybody had a cell phone. I did not have a cell phone. And um, I called out. There's an answering machine. I left a, a voice. I asked him. I was afraid because I didn't come back to my home. My wife would pick up the phone. So the next few days, I kept calling. I said, maybe they'll open in the morning, maybe in the afternoon, maybe in the evening, maybe the night hours. And every time I called, nobody answered the phone. So finally, I left a message and I told my wife that um, I had to tell my wife that I had an issue with sex. She was devastated. She finally called me back from SA. And I wanted to say to beauty, the person called me up. His name was Jeff. Jeff called me back. And I told Jeff that I'm a Hasidic Jew, an Orthodox Jew. I said to him, are there any other people like me in SA? He said to me, yes, I have some response like you. I, I, I cannot give you his number because of anonymity in principle. I have to talk to him first and I'll get back to you. So within 10 minutes, he called me back and he gave me his number. Noah, Noah lives in Brooklyn and he's sponsor to this day. Called up the sponsor Noah and spoke and we became friends to this day and very 
grateful to God, I decided such a sponsor. And there was no wrestling meetings in my area yet. I kept going to AA meetings, and I would travel once a week into New York City to go to wrestling meetings. Then, with the, with the, the first meeting I came to SA, there was a voice, there's a message I got, something I heard that clicked the first time, first SA meeting, that something did something to me. And this is about what I need to important message. But I was told this is what I will convey to you. And that first essay meeting, what I was been told is that stop fighting. Get up. You were never gonna win the fight. And so I said, What do you mean stop fighting? He said to me, give it up to God. Give it up to God. And Something happened to the first meeting. I went, whenever I'm tempted, I say, God help me, I'm powerless. God help me, I'm powerless. God help me, I'm powerless. And my sponsor told me to repeat that prayer, just simple. He said, could be three words, God help me, I'm powerless. Powerless help me, powerless help me, powerless. And it works. Somehow it works 28 years and four months, I'm sober. Sober. It was the beginning of a spiritual awakening. I had to go through the steps. But, again, I want to come back and say that to me, the foundation, if I'm a, I can't be religious background. So, some people have issues with the fourth, the fifth step, and surrounding with the third step. To me, the second, third step wasn't my problem. The first step is my problem. First step. Because it's a contrast to what I was brought up. I was brought up that I have to be a religious person and devote myself to God. But the concept of the certain areas that I'm powerless, something looks very, very strange to me as a religious person. And I have to make peace with that. Five even minutes, today, Yes. Okay. Even to this day, the, the, the biggest trigger, I would say trigger, the biggest issue for me is the first step. Is constantly admitting I'm powerless. powerless. I repeat that prayer, even to them, so over 28 years and four months, four and a half months. I say those words, God and powerless, repeat me over for the day, over and over, a hundred times a day. Whenever I'm alone in the car, if I'm home alone, if I'm, today I became a rabbi, I was in the synagogue, I performed, I help a lot of people, and always keep the, the simple prayer, God and powerless, keep me sober. Just for today, just for today, God and powerless, keep me sober. I went through the steps, I mean, the fourth, the fifth step, and really, really, once I did, I have to say this, the grace of God, the obsession to act out was lifted to me. I do not have today usually a fight on a daily basis. You have to act out, even to lost, to be lost, Nothing, as soon as it comes in my head, I, 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 I see an image or I see something, a thought comes in, the God and Parliament, the Parliament, the Parliament, please help me. And it goes away. The first year, maybe remember, more than a year, I had to repeat it prayer sometimes hundreds of times. Sometimes it took 20 minutes till it went away. And I would repeat the prayer until it would go away. 
after a year, maybe even more than a year, the obsession to act out like this will be lifted for me. And uh, the biggest gift of being sober, my sponsor said to me that I promise you, you're going to stay sober, you cannot imagine behind your wildest dream what God will do for you. Behind your wildest dream, behind your wildest dream, behind you, he would repeat it to me. But I, uh, I have to say this, in the first year that I was sober, I would say the second half of the first year, I fell into a very deep depression. Because I didn't want to act out, but I couldn't see that I'm ever going to smile again in my life without acting out. I didn't believe that would be joy in my life. I, I said, there's nothing, I feel there's nothing, there's nothing left to life. I can't act out. It's like, where, 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 where can I enjoy life? And my sponsor kept telling me these words. Behind you are this dream. Behind you are this dream. And he was right. The biggest gift, biggest, biggest gift that everyone I'm all, I could ever imagine is that God is using me. I was a broken tool, broken, shattered tool, a broken, shattered piece of dirt. God has restored me to a place where God is using me to help other people so much. The biggest gift, God is using me to build the world, to build people. It's a dream. It's something I've never dreamt of. And I have to say this to my friends. God does not need me. God could build the SA Fellowship without me. God could make anybody so without Hanukkah. He doesn't need me. But God has gifted me that I could be a part of it. God give me a chance. God, there's thousands of people sober without me. But somehow God has been sending people my way. I should be a part to be helping stay sober. It's the biggest gift of life. The biggest gift of life that over and above I was able to imagine. Also, that in the last 28 years that I'm sober, I went through lots of life situations changes. I lost my wife. My wife was sick, got sick with cancer 11 and a half years ago. And I uh, walked her through the gate of hell. I walked her to a grave. I was able to walk her to a resting place sober. And I was there for her. I was I had to serve my wife. To say this to my friends. My wife the last few months of her life, couldn't take care of herself. And I was physically taking care of her without lost, without lost, lost free. And uh, the gift is something that I wouldn't have been able to even think about. To be sober. After I lost my wife, after three years, I was remarried again to a second wife. Didn't last long. I was. We met two and a half years, they got divorced, I went to be sober, we parted in a very peaceful way, and I went through it all sober. I lost, I buried two children, years I'm sober, one I lost in 2000. Time to wrap up, Hanoch. Okay, so uh, I want to say that as I've been sober these years, Sometimes I say to myself, what do I need to say anymore? I can, I can, I can retire. And then that's 
Again, it's my first day, meaning that my disease wants to tell me they're going to drop a thing. I need to say, I need you. I want to thank you for being here for me, for inviting me. And I want to thank God, I'm so another day. We thank you all for listening. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. And I'm sorry, last time in February, I was I was scheduled to speak, and I, but I forgot. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. Thank you so much, Hanukkah. There I am. Sorry, I just left the home. Um, I wanted to just say it's been a while since I've been at a, a meeting, and I'm very grateful uh, for your service and very, very grateful for the meeting. Um, just wanted to share that, um, yeah, I've, uh, because of other things in my life, and I've been feeling just being pulled in multiple directions and a feeling sort of out of control and uh, sort of self by self will in multiple directions. And I think that for me, it's very, very helpful to hear this share of Hanukkah to remind myself that uh, number one, I'm an addict, um, sexaholic and that, and, uh, and that God can help me. And just like God helped me through that, he'll help me through anything else. And that I'm powerless over many, many areas of my life. And that simple prayer, in whenever I feel a sense of powerlessness, a sense of of being driven to do something beyond what's what's the correct thing, a uh, sense of lust, um, both within sex or anything else, that um, that a simple prayer, uh, God, please help me, I'm powerless, can help uh, bring me to a sense of uh, peace and serenity, and to be able to guide me to do the right thing. So I'm, I'm very, very grateful for this meeting. It was very, very helpful, uh, very emotional now, and I really I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Nosson. I don't see any virtual hands, so I'm going to go to a question which, is in, which somebody uh, directed to me in the chat. How to deal... So, uh, hi, Hanoch. How to deal with the trauma my wife is going through from my disclosure of acting out? I'm sober and re in recovery now, but my wife is often angry and uses profanity and demeans me. So, I often have to surrender feelings of fear that she will ultimately leave me and resentment that she swears at me. So, any any suggestion? Yes, I, there is a, the, we say that the word that addicts hate the most, that word is four letters, T-I-M-E, time. And uh, it's a process. A wife has to go through the process. And I tell my sponsors, I promise you, if you will stay sober, your wife is going to change. It's a process. She will come down. She will realize that she's overreacting in anger, but it's a, she needs to go through that. It's a reaction to people I'm paying. Thank you, Hanoch. Shlomo? Um, hey, everyone. Um, thank you, Hanoch, for uh, your share. I just wanted to thank you. Just um, I feel like your story, um, at least your first, you know, everything in your life until you, you know, until you got sober, sort of, you know, really today I was going to go to a different meeting Uh, my normal meeting, but then I saw that there was a speaker meeting, and I can't I can't describe how exactly mirroring your story is to me. 
up until the sober sobriety part. So I'm hoping that I could learn, you know, from you know what you've, you know, your your experiences, and be able to apply it to myself. You know, I'm also I'm 35. I've been acting out for 23 years, and very similar ways to you. It's not the same. Um, just in the modern sense, you know, internet and technology. And, you know, my life is, my, you know, I feel like I'm living a double life in a certain way because my wife and kids have no idea. And I feel like my life is, in a certain way, just completely out of control. And, you know, I pray to, you know, and when I speak to my sponsor, he keeps on telling me the same thing. It's like, you don't have a step one. It's like, you don't have it. Your ego keeps telling you that you can control it, that you could do things and control it and control it. And, you know, leads me to the same place over and over again. I end up in the same place over and over again. I can make two weeks, three weeks, but I end up in the same place. So, um, you know, just work. You know, my takeaway from you is just foundation of step one is everything. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Shlomo. Yaakov, would you like to share or ask a question? Yes, please. So my name is Yaakov and I'm a sexaholic. How are you? Um, I wanted to ask, I noticed uh, many times that you spoke about the fact that no matter what, God can keep us sober. And right now, and nowadays anyways, I'm in a situation where I have sometimes two, three weeks without any groups and that I don't have any time to call people or actually anything. I would want to know um, if you can add a bit more about how can I stay clean and sober, but not just by not using, but really feel clean and sober when I, can, when I can't technically uh, do the steps and the calling. If you have any experience. Thank okay. You. Thank you. Did I answer? Did I answer? Yes, please. Please. Uh, okay. So I want to say that today in my life, I'm, I'm a busy person. I go to one meeting a week. Actually, I have a home group and I'm part of it. In, in, if I don't come, I call somebody there to tell the people I'm not coming. I want to be counted. I want to be part of a group and uh, I'm steady there. I'm steady, I'm committed to it. And uh, whenever I can come, I, I call and advance a few people that are not coming that other people know. And people. But actually, I live a program. My sponsors learned, taught me that the, the meeting uh, is where you learn to live a program. We have a program at home. I get in the morning every day. I pray to God. A bunch of times, God, I'm yours. Please keep me sober the first three steps in the morning. Then I take a shower, I wash, then I read this book, and I read the white book every day, and I do meditate. Every morning, this is how I start my day. <laughs> it's whenever, wherever I go, wherever I go, if I have to go out of town, I have to travel, I make sure I take the books with me. And I make sure that in the morning I have half an hour for myself. I, I'm scared. It's my life. I can't. I know my life is fall apart. And I, this is why I'm taking my medicine. You know, I, I, uh, I have to say, 
I I'm an older person. I take medication for my blood pressure and have a heart condition now. I take my medication every morning. My medication. Medication is two books. If you see them, this is my medication. I wherever I am, I need my morning meditation and the books and my prayer. I need twenty minutes to half an hour for myself. And it's a commitment to my life. That's my that's how sometimes I, I, I don't call a person. I don't, you can't go talk to a person every day. Most of the days I talk to people in recovery. But if, regardless, my sponsor taught me that you've, you've worked the 12 steps, you've done the steps, you have a spiritual awakening, and this counts as a result of it. Thank you. Thank you, Hanoch. Liti. My name's Lee, and I'm a real sexaholic. Hi, Lee. Uh, I just want to thank you uh, for emphasizing the the idea of surrender, uh, because uh, not, you know, surrendering didn't happen with the masturbation maintenance program. Uh, I I had a somewhat parallel experience. I was dying with drugs, alcohol, and lust in combination in November of 1985, and uh, the solution they gave me was uh, injections to chemically castrate. And uh, all that was was another tool to try to help me control what was killing me. And uh, I had said before that I went another seven months uh, before I walked into my first essay meeting. And that was when I got the white book, cried through reading the whole thing, and finally got to, this, to the idea of surrender and taking the first step uh, and living without those injections. So uh, I basically just wanted to thank you for emphasizing that because accountability and restraints and all of that have not proven to be of any help to me. And I think it requires that surrender you talk about. So that's all. I just wanted to thank you. Great share. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Lee. Somebody maybe with a last question? Because we, we end this meeting five minutes earlier. We will, we will end at uh, 40, 40 minutes after the hour. So somebody with the last question? Also people with less than, with fewer than 30 days can share? If you can't raise your virtual hand, just open the mic and say hello. (laughs) Hello, this is Patrick Sexaholic. Hi, Patrick. Um, thank you for sharing. I'm actually going to pull over real quick. Um, I've been driving and listening. Um, and, um, first I want to say I could relate. I, I, uh, I'm really grateful to be reminded that sex addiction is different than alcoholism. I too came in through AA and I used to have a sponsor at one time. He said to me, why don't you just come to the AA meetings and stop going to those meetings and, worked the 12 steps with AA and 
Sometime later, he said to me, you know, you might need to go back to those S meetings because I just can't help you. And he was like, because, you know, I might masturbate once in a while, but it doesn't destroy my life like what it's doing to you. So I am so grateful that you reminded me of that. And um, and also um, the, what Lee just said about the surrender part. And I'm, I'm also grateful for I, my quick question would be is in recovery. Like I struggle now with struggling sometimes of. of you were saying how looking for the perfect woman or perfect person in your addiction. I sometimes struggle with, I think my recovery needs to be a perfect way or my attitude needs. If I, if like if today I'm struggling with depression, for example, and I think, am I doing something wrong? Cause I'm struggling with some depression today. So I'm curious, uh, I'm assuming the medicine again would be those two books you, you just showed to, to the other gentleman. And, uh, um, but I'm curious if you kind of have that attitude sometimes, if I could just get, get do this program, right. Then I'm, that I'm right. Does that make any sense? <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense. But anyway, thank you so much, everybody. And if you can kind of answer that odd question, but thanks. <laughs> thanks, Patrick. Yes, I, I sometimes know life is, uh, is sometimes gray or blue, you know, simple and uh, gratitude list. Whenever I feel down, I say to myself, wait a minute, let me make a, a list and see how, much, how many things I have in life to be grateful. I'm sober, uh, people respect me uh, because I, I carry a certain important message. God loves me. God has, uh, has been using me to help other people. I have sometimes, I'm, I'm down sometimes, and I have to use the tools to bring myself up. And I've learned. Thank you. Thank you very much, Hanuk. We'll, um, thank you so much again. For me, it has been a fantastic meeting. And uh, the main thing that I take from it is that God doesn't, didn't and doesn't need me in this fellowship. He can do all the things he wants without me. And, but he just chose out of his love and grace to add me to this fellowship. So I'm, I'm so grateful for it. Um, so this has been the sharing section of this meeting. Take what you think you can use and forget the rest. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of our fellowship. Everything you've heard here has been said in confidence and should stay confidential. Keep therefore what you've heard here within the walls of this room and the limits of your mind. It is time for our seventh tradition, which states every SA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. You can donate into our group's PayPal account, which is sa barcelona english at gmail.com so sa barcelona english at gmail.com next week the 21st of april our speaker will be malki from london uk she has been sober since june 9 2016 and malki will share on oh sorry I didn't catch that here. Malki will share on my experiences in recovery. So my experience in recovery by Malki from London, UK. Same Zoom link, same time, same place, your own living room. So um, would somebody please read Nine Step Promises? I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. 
please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.